If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, then will I hear from heaven, and forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Well, welcome once again to this next episode of Rend the Heavens Lore Come Down podcast. Um, haven't done too many podcasts this year so far, as some of you may have noticed. Just been doing a bit of thinking and reevaluating, um, spiritually speaking. Uh, probably a bit discouraged as well, in one sense. Um, but I believe God wants me to continue doing these podcasts to see and hopefully that God can stir up the church uh, for revival for people who are listening. A few weeks ago, I did a message uh, called God in a State of Shock. You can see that if you haven't heard already. Um, and it was talking about from a passage from Isaiah 59 um, and um, verse 16. Um, and it says here, And God saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. That word wondered means God was in shock that there was no intercessor. Somebody who was standing between the judgment of God and the mercy of God for the people of Judah or Israel. Um, we know that's what an intercessor does. He stands in between God's judgment um, and uh, between God and the people that he's going to judge. and can also make a difference going from judgment to blessing or revival. But God saw there was no intercessor. And therefore, he was going to bring judgment instead, as the rest of that chapter says. So the question I have to ask today is, why are there no intercessors? The fact that obviously God is looking for an intercessor. Why is there no intercessors, uh, men and women who would be praying, crying out to God, uh, to, that God, instead of bringing judgment to his people and to our countries, that he would bring blessing instead and mercy? Why are there no intercessors? So that's what I want to look at um, today. So the first point I want to look at is that there are no intercessors because of sin in our lives. Okay, sin in our lives. Isaiah 59 verse 1 to 2 is what we look at first of all. It says, the Lord, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save or deliver. Neither his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So it's very basic, this fourth point. The reason why there are no intercessors um, is because of sin in our lives. Sin that is controlling our lives, that's taken over our lives, um, and sin that stops God from calling that man or woman to be an intercessor. Just look at the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt, not, thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. Thou shalt have no idols or images before me, graven images before me. These are things that very much is part of the modern Christian church, um, where there is sin running our lives. And because of that, 
God can't speak to us, God can't hear us even, God can't call that intercessor because of sin in our lives. So it's very simple, you know, and that sin can come again in, in different forms. It can be a sexual sin, immorality, um, it can be um, a, a sin of anger, of unbelief, uh, and all these things which we're going to look at, of course. But just look at the Ten Commandments, even idols. The, is the church today not full of idols, idolatry, where we worship and get excited about things um, that are more important than God is? So because of sin, God can't speak to us and God can't, God can't call us to be those intercessors that are so desperately needed. The second point why there is no intercessors is unbelief. And to look at that one, we will go to um, Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. And we will start in um, verse um, 7. And God here is speaking about the children of Israel that were in the wilderness. And of course, they were not allowed to go into the promised land. And we'll find out why they weren't allowed to go into the promised land. Wherefore, Verse 7 says in Hebrews chapter 3, As the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if you will hear his voice. Now notice it says, if you will hear God's voice. You can hear this podcast, you can hear a pastor preaching, or somebody giving some talk from the Bible, but it doesn't mean you're really listening. But it says here, wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, not tomorrow, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. It's possible for believers to harden our hearts, isn't it? I know I've done it before. I'm sure you have too. Harden not your heart as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. So again, he's talking about Israel wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. God was judging them, dealing with them there for those 40 years. Um, Verse 10, Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear, swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. And then God says to us, the church today, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So we get the example of the Israelites being judged by God, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because of their unbelief. And then he says, Take heed, brethren, talking to the Christians today, Take heed lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Wow, that's very strong language, would you not agree? God says that unbelief is an evil heart. That seems very strong, but that's what God calls unbelief, an evil heart. He says, be careful that that does not happen to you as well. And goes on to say in verse 17 of chapter 3, But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses or bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but in them that believe not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Unbelief is a very serious thing with God. He calls it actually an evil heart. That's what unbelief is. This cost uh, the lives um, of the Israelites. And not only did it cost them their lives, but um, it cost them a great blessing that they were promised to go into the promised land, which God had never broke that promise, but they didn't believe that God could do it. They, they heard the, evil, the, the report of 10 spies. God called that report uh, an evil report. And the 10 spies says that there are giants in that land and there's no way we can overcome them. We're just like grasshoppers to them. And so the people of Israel, for the most part, chose to believe the 10 spies' evil report. And so they didn't believe 
that God would give them the victory. And so they ended up dying in that wilderness instead of going into the land of Canaan, which eventually became the land of Israel, just like God had promised. The only two people who did believe, of course, was Joshua and Caleb. They believed God. And then God used those men, even in their old age, to lead the people into the promised land where they faced those giants and they were defeated. So we have a huge problem in the church day of unbelief. And that's why we have no intercessors. Unbelief in several, several things. Unbelief in their own lives. That God can't, do, uh, can't use them in intercessory prayer. That God can't do the impossible. Um, it just, it's not possible. They have unbelief when it comes to the past history of what God has done in the past. Where God has brought revivals in the past. I mean, um, it is shocking to me the, the hardness and the unbelief when people hear these stories of revival in the past and they don't believe they're true. They think they're exaggerated. It just cannot be. Uh, there's too emotionalism there involved. Um, that doesn't suit my doctrine. Or that doesn't suit my church um, that I go to. Whatever. Um, so we have unbelief. So because of unbelief, God can't. Um, call an intercessor to intercede for the people of God and uh, the intercessor won't hear that call because of unbelief. God, in God's eyes, unbelief is an evil heart. That's the second reason why we have no intercessors. And then the third reason is self-satisfaction in the church and that's why we have no intercessors. Go to Revelation chapter um. Let me see here. It's chapter 3, sorry. Yes, Revelation chapter 3. And we have here the Church of Laodicea. Okay. Now again, many Christians believe around the world that uh, we are in the, the church, Laodicean age, Laodicean church age as it were. I don't believe that myself. I don't believe the seven churches mentioned in Revelation 2 and 3 are seven ages. I just think there are seven churches. They never call seven ages at all. But again, like I said before, even if you believe that the seven churches are seven ages, the Laodicean church is the last age in, in some people's interpretation. And we're supposed to be in that Laodicean age. Um... But again, I believe it's just um, a, a church that was uh, what God calls lukewarm. And so God talks to this church and he says um, in verse 16, So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Why? What, what, do you mean what does God mean that Laodicea church is lukewarm? Well, then he says in verse 17, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing don't need revival you know don't need revival sure we have we have we have everything that we need you know sure we have church service we have preaching we have uh, prayer meetings we have bible studies we have youth meetings and all kind of stuff we we're, everything is fine you know we don't need revival well if you don't need revival then you're not going to intercede for revival you're not going to intercede for the church okay but that's what the Laodicean church taught about themselves. But what did God say about this Laodicean church? He said, And knows not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So we have the evaluation of the church itself about how what they think their spiritual state is and is totally opposite to what God sees. Well, God is the great physician. He's the great doctor, isn't he? And God says the opposite to them. They think, they said, again, they're increased with goods. They have need of nothing. And yet God says, you don't even realize, do you, that you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. Does that not describe most of the modern church today? They're wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. And yet they think everything is okay. 
they think everything is okay. Um, if, if they didn't, they would be crying out for revival. We'd have intercessors crying out for God to have mercy upon his people. But we don't have that because I believe that for the most part, the church today does not believe that it needs revival because uh, everything's okay. You know, look, we're allowed to meet together. Everything's fine. You know, we're doing all these things. And that's, that's where we're at. And so, well, why do we need an intercessor? Why would you bother interceding for the church or for your country if everything is fine in the church? Well, they laid the same church that everything was fine, didn't they? But God said otherwise. The question is, how do you see your life as a Christian today? How do you see your churches or your church or the churches? Do you think that the churches are doing fine, increased with goals, they have need of nothing? That you're, they're rich, everything's fine? Look at all these programs, look at the building that we have, look at all the things that we do. Is that the way you see things? Well, then you won't intercede for revival. You won't intercede for yourself, for the church, for your family, for your people, because you think everything is fine. But that's not the way God saw the ladies in church. So what is the solution? This is, you know, just being briefly speaking here, I could say a lot more, but what is the solution um, to this problem? The first point is there needs to be repentance, okay? Um, so we just looked at Revelation 3 there about the Laodicean church and we saw what God said about the church that he told them that they're, they say that they're rich, they're creased with goods and they've need of nothing. God says, but you don't realize that you are wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind and you're naked. Very different um, to what, um, you know, to what the church said about themselves, okay? But here's what God says to the Laodicean church. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Now, isn't that amazing what God before I read the rest of that verse, as many as I love, God says, I rebuke and chasten. You know, when you're being confronted about sin, about a problem, about unbelief, that's love. Especially when God is doing it, and to a godly man, okay? Um, God is telling his church these things because he loves them. You know, and he is rebuking them and he's chasing them because a good father will chase and rebuke his children. And God always does it in love. A godly man will do it in love, but of course we're sinners, so we may not always do it in love. Maybe we'll do it out of frustration, but that's not the way it is with God. So when he's talking to us, um, he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And then he says, be zealous therefore and repent. Okay? God wants repentance from the Laodicean church. Okay, many most of the, I, I agree that most of the Western churches today are lay the same. They are lukewarm. They're neither hot nor cold. <coughs> Excuse me. They're lukewarm because they think they have everything. They're fine. They have their nice again. They're nice church building. They have their programs, have all their plans. They do. They're doing this and doing that. But what we see is in the church is what man can do, what man says. But what about what God can do? What God says. God is looking for this church to repent. Okay, and you know, he's not the only church he told to repent. He told the church of Ephesus to repent in Revelation chapter 2 as well. And we see here in verse 5 of chapter 2 of Revelation to the church of Ephesus. He says, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. That's something that we should all consider. You know where you've fallen. You know where you've lost the fire. You know, you know where you've fallen um, from that power, from that blessing. Remember, therefore, from hence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. The first works, I believe, is when you are first saved, the excitement and the love, the zeal you have for God. Go back to that again. Or else, he says, I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick 
out of his place except thou repent. Uh, the word repent is mentioned twice. So God is looking for repentance from the churches today. There's no doubt about that. He's looking for repentance from all of us in the Western world's church, I believe, particularly. And if you don't, he says, he'll come and remove the candlestick. That represents his presence. And I believe God's presence has been removed from many churches or he's even leaving. It kind of reminds me of what happened in Israel when God's glory was leaving the temple. He left in steps in degrees and eventually he went over to Mount of Olives and was gone. God was telling the people of Israel, I'm leaving here because you're not repenting. And your churches, the churches are in danger of the candlestick being removed. Whereas God's presence, if he has not gone already, it is leaving. And maybe even spiritually he is, his presence has left your life. God is looking for repentance. Remember he says, as many as I love, I when I uh, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. God is doing this out of love. He one knows what's best for us. We need intercessors. God is looking for an intercessor. He's in shock that there are no intercessors, as we know from Isaiah. But you can't have any intercessors if we are full of sin, full of unbelief and self-satisfaction. God commands people everywhere to repent. God commands these two churches to repent. I believe God is commanding you and I to repent as well of sin in our lives, of unbelief, of self-satisfaction. Second solution is, besides repenting, is belief. Kind of very simple, isn't it? Hebrews 11, verse 6, the great chapter of faith. Uh, what does it say there in Hebrews 11? Um, chapter, uh, uh, sorry, Hebrews 11, chapter 11, verse 6. It says, but without faith, it is impossible to please, to please him. Talking about God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God is looking for people who believe him. You know? As I said, there's a lot of unbelief when it comes to re revival, especially from the past. They just don't believe these things. Or they'll say, those things happened in the past, but not anymore. Or those things are an exaggeration. They just cannot be. They're too good to be true. But certainly it can't happen today. It can't happen with me. It can't happen with my home. It can't happen with my church. It can't happen with my country. I don't believe it. God's look for people who believe him. Hebrews 11 is a catalogue of men and women who believe God. And therefore God did great things through them because they believed him. God tells us that unbelief is an evil heart as we've learned already. Okay, so instead of unbelief, he's looking for belief. Caleb and Joshua had that belief. Therefore, they went into the promised land, didn't they? But the rest couldn't. Okay, um, God is looking for a man or woman who believes God to do the impossible. We know that with God, all things are possible. Okay, and the angel Gabriel said um, to, was it uh, Zacharias in Luke chapter 1? For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Nothing. Uh, what the Lord said to Jeremiah, uh, I am the Lord, there's nothing too hard for me. There's nothing impossible for me, nothing. That's what an intercessor does. He believes, he doesn't go by his feelings, by his own senses. He knows the God of the Bible. He knows the God of history. He knows the God of revival, uh, revival history. He knows that God can do anything. In, in no matter what he sees or hears, no matter what he feels, he believes and knows that God can do anything. That's what an intercessor does. He believes God can do anything. And then the final point is, um, the final solution is, besides repentance and belief, is to cry out to the Lord. You know, to cry out to the Lord. Isaiah 64, the great prophet Isaiah. When we see the situation in, in, in um, Isaiah's time, it's very bad. And remember, 
Um, like I mentioned before, God is talking to his people in Isaiah most of the part, most of the time. Just like many do their prophet in the Old Testament. When he's talking to the other nations around them, he calls them by name. He says Philistine, he says Babylon, Assyria, um, Grecia, wherever, Edomites, um, Moabites. But when he's talking to Judah and Israel, he makes it very clear. And God is not pleased with the people during Isaiah's time. And there's judgment and t- things are bad. And what does the prophet do? He cries out to God. Verse 1 of chapter, uh, of Isaiah chapter 64, verse 1. Oh, that thou would rend the heavens, that thou would come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. You hear the cry of the great prophet Isaiah. He cries out to God, God, that you would rend the heavens, you would open up the heavens, the spiritual heavens, and come down, Lord, with your presence. That's what's needed. That's what an intercessor does. He cries out to God. You know, Isaiah starts off, oh, that there would rend the heavens. That word, oh, someone has said before, when that word, oh, comes back into someone's praying, you know that God is doing something. There's an anguish there. There's a dealing with the heart, isn't there? Oh, that there would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. That was the great prophet Isaiah's cry. There is no other solution, you know. So an intercessor is someone who's repented of his sin of unbelief and self-satisfaction, is someone who believes God no matter what he sees or hears or feels around him, and, and then he will cry out to God for God to rend the heavens, to pour out his spirit in these last days, as God has promised um, in Acts chapter 2, that God to, the, uh, to Peter said, and on the last days he would pour out his spirit upon all flesh, we call them revivals. So looking back in history, we call them spiritual awakenings. We call them revivals. God has done exactly that. God has poured out his spirit so many times in revival. Okay? There are so many stories of God doing these very things. And in fact, I want to give you one uh, example of the result of intercessory prayer. Okay? And this happens, um, I think, maybe, maybe in the 1950s, 1960s. I can't remember exactly. But this involves a man called James A. Stewart. He wrote um, a few different books, uh, one called Open Windows, which t- this story is taken from. Um, and he also wrote another book called Heaven's Throne Gift, referring again to the Holy Spirit. Basically, he wrote books about intercessory prayer and about belief in the, in the Holy Spirit in our lives, in the church age. Um, so James A. Stewart was a successful evangelist in Scotland. Um, he was seeing people saved everywhere. And then God suddenly called him to go and be a missionary um, in Latvia, Eastern Europe, um, under USSR uh, rule, Soviet rule. And nobody could understand it. Why would you do such a thing? But God called him, and so he went. And incredibly, he saw revival take place. So he's going to pick up the story here, because he can't understand why this revival has taken place. And this is an incredible story. But this is an example, again, of what intercessory prayer does. But also, uh, to show you that this is one of thousands of thousands of stories where God has worked mightily uh, because of intercessory prayer throughout church history. You need to hear these stories because they're true. So James Stewart says, One day in a northern city of Eastern Europe, talking about Latvia, or in fact he was in Riga um, in, in Latvia, he says, I was concerned because for no apparent reason, God has suddenly sent revival. And he couldn't understand why. In other cities and countries, it usually comes after several weeks or even months of throne ministry, intercessory prayer. But here on the fifth day 
of the revival, the heavens were rent asunder and we were deluged with heaven sent blessing. 1,000 believers packed the church building each morning for Bible study. Thousands heard the gospel in the evening in a large auditorium. So great was the hunger for the word among the unsaved that there was no room for the believers in the evening service. I asked them to go to their own churches and pray. The spiritual distress among the unsaved was great as the sword of the Spirit stabbed their hearts night after night. It was midnight and after before I could leave the building. I was greatly disturbed in my mind. I could not sleep, being at a loss to explain the open windows as it were. Quoting from Malachi chapter 3 verse 10. I had arrived unheralded and unknown in this country, only by the invitation of the Holy Spirit. The meetings had commenced on a Friday night with some seven people at a prayer meeting. One evening, the Lord very kindly allowed me to discover the secret of the blessing. How come this revival was taking place, where thousands were getting saved? The church was being revived. God gave him the secret. Be afraid, he says, that I would not have sufficient power of the Spirit to proclaim the evangel or the gospel to the thousands who had gathered. I made my way to the basement of the auditorium in order uh, to have a few minutes more of prayer. I began to pray in the darkness, but it was not long before I felt an overwhelming sense of the magic of God. I knew right away there was someone else in the large basement praying. I quietly put on the light, and there I saw at the extreme end of the basement some twelve sisters, Christian women, flat on their face before God. They were totally unaware of my presence. They were inside the veil, touching the throne by the power of the Spirit, while upstairs God was working mightily among the unsaved. That was intercessory prayer there. These 12 dear sisters were praying on their faces in that dark room and that even when he walked in and turned on the light, they didn't even look up. They, didn't, they weren't even aware that he was there. They were so engrossed with praying on their faces for God to pour out his spirit in the meetings above in the church auditorium. That is an example of intercessory prayer. That is an example of revival praying. And again, there are stories like this by the thousands. By the absolute thousands. And you need to read a bit those stories. Because there's a lot of unbelief, as I say, when it comes to revival. Ephesians 3 verse 20, and this is where I'll close. This is an incredible promise. Now unto him, talk about God, that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Did you hear that? An intercessor reads verse like this and gives, and this is where he gets his fuel from, and this is where we get our encouragement from, our, our motivation from, when God makes promises like this. Again, I'll read it. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Notice God doesn't say, now unto him that is able to uh, do abundantly above all that we ask or think. He says he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all, above all that we ask or think according to the power, that's the Holy Spirit, that worketh in us. The Holy Spirit is inside every Christian. There is power there, untapped power there. Not for your own selfish reasons, but for the glory of God, for the salvation of souls, for the revival of the church, which is so desperately needed. That is in Ephesians 3 verse 20. Look what God is able to do. And some people think that revival is only for the past age. But this verse, verse 21 then says in Ephesians 3, 
unto him, talking about God, be glory in the church, right? In the church, glory in the church by Christ Jesus, when? Throughout all ages, world without end. So get this notion out of your minds, which is false teaching and unbelief, that the revival age has passed, where in the Laodicean church age, there's no revival. God says here, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without ends. Okay? God wants to be glorified in the church throughout all ages through, by Christ Jesus. He's not, he's not satisfied having a church that is struggling, that is compromised and that is weak. That does not please God whatsoever. Okay? Um, it, it just doesn't. Um, God is able to work throughout all ages here. Okay? A subnormal and backslidden church, someone once said, is an insult and a disgrace to a holy, powerful God. So God is not accepting this lukewarm uh, churches that we have in the Western world today. Even if you believe that we're in a lukewarm age. I don't believe that. I just think the churches in the Western world are lukewarm. I don't believe the churches in North Korea are lukewarm. Or the Christians, are Christians in, in, in North Korea. I don't believe in um, the Christians are, are lukewarm in Afghanistan or in Iraq or Iran. Not at all. These people are on fire, actually. And these people are actually praying for the Western churches, Western Christians like us, to know persecution so that we'll know the blessing of God, we'll know revival power. And uh, that, that is actually true. Okay? So, um, God wants to pour out his spirit through all church aid to show his power, not just in the past. Okay? So, why are there no intercessors? Because of sin in our lives, because of unbelief about past, present, or the future, because of self-satisfaction that the church is doing okay. What's the solution? God is looking for repentance from the church. God's looking for repentance from you and I so we can have intercessors. God is looking for belief in him to do the impossible even today. God is looking for an intercessor to cry out to God, to show his mighty hand, to pour out the spirit, to rend the heavens, um, that God would come down with his presence. Isaiah, <coughs> that's the way Isaiah cried, and he was the great prophet Isaiah. That was his reaction to what was going on with his people. The people were in a bad state, just like the church in a bad state today. God is looking for intercessors. Where are those intercessors? Are you one of them that God is trying to call? I wonder. There will never, we will never have great men of God raised up if we don't have intercessors. You know, all the great men of God that we hear from the past, men like D.L. Moody, for example, he was great because there were people interceding for him. There's one story, for example, I might have mentioned this before, I don't know. When he came to England, basically for a holiday, just to rest. But... People want, you know, one church particularly, one pastor asked and begged him to preach for him. So reluctantly, D.L. Moody preached in the morning. But, you know, he felt that the sermon went flat. Nothing really happened, you know. But then he preached in the, after, in the evening service and nearly the whole church came forward or to be saved or to be revived. And he couldn't understand what was the difference. But then he found out, the difference was, he found out that a woman had been praying for him in the evening service. And the reason why she didn't pray in the morning service was... Uh, this woman was at home sick. She couldn't go to the morning service because she was sick. Her sister went to the service. <coughs> Excuse me. And she came back and said, you never guess who was preaching this morning at church? D.L. Moody. And the sister who was sick in bed could not believe it. And so she sent her sister out of the room. She, wanted, she told her sister not to let anybody disturb her. That she was going to pray for the evening service for D.L. Moody. 
because she actually had been praying for Dean Moody to come to England to preach in our church, I believe. But she didn't know she he was there that, that particular Sunday. So she did pray. And she asked God to bless Dale Moody that evening, to pour the spirit as he preaches. And what a difference it made. Hundreds came forward to be saved or to surrender lives to the Lord as Christians. That was a difference because she was interceding for Dale Moody. Without people interceding for Dale Moody, you would never heard of Dale Moody. Okay, So we will never have great men of God raised up in, in Ireland or any country that you listen from without an intercessor. You could be that person. You could be that woman. You could be that man. Again, like I mentioned before, the amount of revival stories that I've heard about where women were praying, where women were interceding, just like that example I just gave you of that woman praying for Dale Moody. You know, it's happened so many times. I don't believe women are meant to preach or be a, um, certainly not uh, evangelists or pastors. Or it's, it's, it's certainly meant to be men. Um, women certainly can preach, uh, preach the gospel, share the gospel. But certainly women can be great intercessors. And God has used women uh, in the past, and I'm sure in the present somewhere in the world, in intercessory prayer, okay? Um, so it is possible. But we will never have Dale Moody's raised up in Ireland or any country for that matter without an intercessor. The church is losing, um, the church is in, in a backslidden state, the church is in the spiritual wilderness today in the Western world. Great men like Martin Lloyd-Jones said so um, 62, 62 years ago, um, that the church is in the spiritual wilderness, it hasn't changed, it's actually got worse if anything. We need intercessors. But we can't have intercessors if they're sinner lives, therefore God can't use us in intercessory prayer, God can't call you to inter intercessory prayer. Or God can't use you if you're full of unbelief when it comes to revival today. Um, or in the past, and God can't use you if you're a self-satisfied Christian or in a self-satisfied church. That why do we need revival? Everything's fine. God wants you to repent. He wants you to believe in Him. He wants you to cry out to Him to rend the heavens and come down. I do believe, though we're in the very dark days, that we can have revival while the Holy Spirit is still inside. While the church is still here, the Holy Spirit is inside us. We can have revival until the church is called home in the rapture. Why not? You know, certainly I want to be revived, don't you? But well, we need intercessory men and women who will intercede for the church. So that's where I'll leave it. I do ask you to share these podcasts with others. Again, that first sermon, God instead of shock, is the first part of this message I did today. If you haven't heard it, um, I encourage you to listen to that. But do share these podcasts with others. I'm, you know, I'm asking God to, to use these messages to stir up uh, men and women to be intercessors and to stir up uh, great men of God to be raised up to preach the gospel, to preach revival truths to the church, to be like prophets in these last days. I do believe it's possible. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. God bless you. And I'll talk to you again soon. Amen.